Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Demi Moore and Bruce Willis ruled the late 80s and 90s, but eventually their marriage crumbled. It was the man Demi married next, a boyish, rambunctious prankster named Ashton Kutcher that would have the whole world talking. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, hello. Hi, hi. How are we feeling about part two? We're ready. This is part two of three. Mm -hmm. We covered a lot in episode one and and it was far darker than I thought it was going to be when we kind of dived in and did a lot of this research with our researcher Eilish. Yeah, I feel a weird attachment to this scandal series that I don't think I feel for every story that we cover. There's just like so much here that I loved learning as dark as the story is. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So just to quickly recap, we spoke of Demi's incredibly traumatic childhood in our last episode. Her parents struggled deeply with the and mental health. They eventually divorced when she was 13. And it was around this time that Demi actually discovered something everyone around her seemed to already know, and that was that her dad was not her biological father. Mm, Demi also experienced sexual assault as a young 15-year-old when her mother met a man who would go on to have this odd relationship with both Demi and her mum. He would pick her up from school and then sometimes also be in her apartment waiting for Demi when she got home. This man later told Demi that her mother, and I have this in quotation marks, sold her to him for the price of $500. Of that, she wrote, I'll never know if my mother accepted $500 from this man explicitly as a payment for permission to fuck me. Perhaps it was murkier than that. Perhaps he gave her some money under the pretense of helping a friend, a loan, a deposit for the new apartment. For all I know, she had already paid him back by having sex with him herself. But what is certain is that she gave this man the key to the apartment she shared with her 15-year-old daughter. I have mothered three 15-year-old girls. The idea of giving a grown man with dubious intentions unsupervised access to them is as inconceivable to me as it is repugnant. 
As for her career, well, Demi actually started out semi-nude modelling before picking up more modelling work and doing some auditions to crack into the acting scene. Her first job was working on the show General Hospital. She, around this time, married a musician called Freddie Moore. She was about 18. Mm. They actually divorced a year later and then she started picking up film roles and then found a real dependence when she was on these sets on cocaine before going to rehab. Yeah, by 1987, though, she was a star and she met another star in actor Bruce Willis. The two became a power couple very quickly. They actually got married within four months and then had a baby soon after that. By 1991, she was pregnant with their second child and starring on the cover of Vanity Fair in The Nude. That cover stirred a lot of controversy controversy but Demi herself loved the photos as for the story inside the magazine though Zara she was not a fan of the words the journalist wrote nope so let's do that let's rewind all the way back to that story in 1991 all right so let's talk about the accompanying story and interview that Demi did with this naked photo shoot In Demi's own words, here's how she felt about the article in Vanity Fair. If the cover and its repercussions exceeded my dreams, the article that accompanied it inside the magazine was my nightmare. The smart and strong cover photo was completely at odds with the devastating representation of me in that story. I was portrayed as selfish, egotistical and pampered. A series of anonymous quotes claimed that I had gotten ghost because I had married well and said that being Mrs. Bruce Willis had gone to my head, swelling it unmercifully. I was a prima donna surrounded by sycophants. The distorted portrayal of me as a diva would follow me for years. It's so interesting because you read this piece, I read this piece, and our researcher Eilish also read this piece. And we all wanted to see, without talking to each other, how we felt about the story Mm. when we were reading it and whether we felt like Demi had some sort of merit to how she was feeling about it. We all felt pretty differently. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because Eilish basically thought the piece was outdated. It read like something from the early 90s to Eilish, but she did not read it as snarky. I read the piece as very snarky. And I think that all goes to show that so much of this stuff can be completely subjective. And I think multiple readings of it are valid. Yeah, I went in and kind of sort of found myself between you and Eilish. I definitely read it and agree with the fact that it is rude to be referring to a woman as Mrs. Bruce Willis and to kind of call Ghost and her career a one-hit wonder. That said, the rest of it, I didn't get this sense from reading it that she was this massive prima donna. I didn't get that sense. I didn't get that the world thought she was this massive diva because I thought her quotes within the piece about that sentiment really... I don't know, they really sung to me and she really just sounded like a strong woman. But maybe that's indicative of me reading this in 2023 and not back in 1991. In the context with which it was published. Exactly. Now, the piece did make some snide comments here and there, as we have touched on. Like when Demi says she wants to be a celebrity that gives back, the journalist characterised it as foggy altruism. (sighs) Another sentence claims she wore, and I quote, one of the worst outfits in history of the Academy Awards, comprising of a bizarre combo of bicycle shorts, a bustier and bustle skirt. 
That is pretty bad yeah. to say she wore. I mean, again, fashion is completely subjective. So for a journalist to deem her outfit as one of the worst outfits in the history of the Academy Awards, like I'm just not convinced that that is actually a nice thing. To, no, no, it's not a nice thing to say. It's yeah. terrible. I think for me, there were definitely some snarky parts, but I didn't yeah. feel like she came off unlikable. Okay. I think this piece definitely included quotes from anonymous sources that were harsh and sexist. For example, like this quote from an anonymous producer. She was damned lucky to get into Ghost. It wasn't like she was Gina Davis, someone who's put in some wonderful performances. Demi hasn't done that. She was lucky and married well. I wonder if in this year or in this era we would get quotes from anonymous producers. Maybe yeah. we still would, but it doesn't feel like something that happens as much. Another producer, also anonymous, who also didn't want to put their name to this, said, I don't think Bruce and Demi wake up in the morning being assholes, although she is more capable of it than he. She's more nervous. She's got that ego. <laughs> it's actually quite funny because when I read this, I actually do have to stand by my opinion. <laughs> when I read the whole piece, and it's a long piece, I was like, Massive. I see why she was pissed off, but I don't think this is the worst thing I've ever read. Okay. When we've picked out the worst things back to back, <laughs> it does pretty look bad. pretty bad. And you can imagine, I can put myself in Demi's shoes. If someone could give me 10 compliments, but one criticism. For sure. And I will hyper-focus on the criticism. So I can understand how she is hyper-focused on the negative sentiment. And there was negative Well, it's pretty harsh, actually, now that I'm here. Yeah. The journalist also questioned Demi on her reputation of being a prima donna, to which she responded, if you're a woman and ask for what you want, you're treated differently than if you're a man. It's a lot more interesting to write about me being a bitch than being a nice woman. That's the quote I really liked from her and I thought she came off quite well. Yeah, I think she probably was justified in being pissed off about a profile like this. But when we took it to some members of the team, some of the girls did raise, well, is this not what you cop when you're a celebrity? Like, is this not part and parcel of the gig? And yes, it's not always going to be glowing, but that's what you sign up for, for the big bucks and the fame and the accolades. Well, the big profiles are definitely complicated because they want to profile you in all your entirety. And it's never that interesting if it's just a surfacey mm. profile, but you have to, at this point in your career or at this point in time particularly, you had to do these big profiles for publicity for your films. This was how you, you promoted. Yeah, you promoted. Now, what also struck us about this profile was this quote from Bruce about their relationship. He said, we learned how to be each other's best friend. At times, that's more important than being someone's husband or wife, to give each other the respect that most of the time goes out the window in a marriage. I wanted to include this quote specifically because A, I think it's incredible foreshadowing mm. and B, I think it's a very beautiful quote and speaks to the strength of their bond. Yeah, I completely agree. One side note as well, by the way, as this magazine was making headlines and everyone was talking about it, Demi was going through some stuff in her personal life that seemed to maybe exacerbate the whole issue. She wrote in her memoir that her relationship with her mother continued to deteriorate around this time. She wrote, my mother made matters worse, as she so often managed to do. Nude pictures of her began to surface in the tabloids. Her need for attention was so desperate, she'd let these rags convince her to pose naked, mimicking the shots I'd done for magazines, including the cover of Vanity Fair. It was pitiful. You're embarrassing yourself, I told her, but to no avail. She went on, in her delusional mind, she believed the people paying her were her friends. I tried to explain to her that these so-called friends were taking advantage of her, but she wouldn't hear me. You made money modelling, she said. You just don't want me to. 
Her behavior with the tabloids was what put me over the edge. I think it's because I saw the potential this particular brand of lunacy had to hurt my kids. I broke off all contact with her soon after Scout, my second child, was born. I didn't speak to her again for eight years. How complicated is that? Now, of course, as we know, Demi had three children with Bruce. They had Rumor in 1988, as we mentioned, Scout in 91 with that Vanity Fair cover, and then they had Tallulah in 94. As for her career, well, after Ghost, Demi's star power grew exponentially. In fact, it grew so large that she was paid a record-breaking salary of $12.5 million for the starring role in Striptease in 1996. Insane. In July 1998, so two years later, Demi's mother, Virginia, died after a battle with cancer. In her memoir, Demi wrote this. At first, I thought the illness was a scam. I imagined showing up to the hospital only to find that my mother was fine and had gotten paid to deliver me to the paparazzi. Instead, there was my mum sitting in a hospital bed. She was gravely ill. I cannot comprehend feeling so much distrust for your mother, and rightly so. I mean, some of the stories Demi tells about her mother are horrific. Like having this level of distrust for her to the point where you think she's lying about cancer so that she can sell you to paps. Yeah, but it makes complete sense in my mind why her mind would go there. She went on, I felt devastated that she didn't love me enough to be a better mother, to not exploit me for money, to pick me up from school when she said she would, to protect me from my rapist and all the rest of it. I have since come to understand that there is no such thing as someone loving you enough to be better. People can only be as good as they are no matter how much they love you. Mm. Demi did bring her daughters to meet her mother on her deathbed and she did care for her during the last three months of her life which is pretty incredible yeah it was a pretty horrific time for Demi because she wasn't just mourning her mum and the very complicated relationship they had she was also beginning to mourn her relationship with Bruce because that was faltering at this time reflecting on it in her memoir she wrote Bruce and I had met married had a baby and just done a lot very quickly it was as if he woke up a few years later and thought whoa is this what I want or do I really want to be free I think that as a true Pisces he was struggling to resolve a conflict within himself he wanted family and grounding but he also craved excitement and novelty i'm a pisces do i feel that way i think really no (laughs) i think you're quite happy with family and grounding she went on basically he wanted to do whatever the fuck he wanted he was 36 throwing celebrity and money you do the math what does that mean what does that mean he was 36 throw in celebrity and money he wanted to sleep around he wanted to be the hot shot Absolutely. He wanted to sleep around. So the couple split and the media was, as they so often were in the 90s, completely brutal. Take this from the Irish Times, for example. Demi Moore and Bruce Willis have gone from golden couple to the latest in a long line of failed celebrity unions. The movie synopsis had probably already been written. She was pure white trash from New Mexico who carved a lucrative career from taking her clothes off. He was the diehard action hero with a roving eye. That is atrocious. So brutally nasty. It's just unnecessary and atrocious. Pure white trash who carved a lucrative career from taking her clothes off. It's so I hard. I hate that. Now, despite the cruel coverage about them, Demi and Bruce never seemed particularly acrimonious. They never really took pot shots at each other. If anything, they really nourished their relationship even post-divorce. 
Bruce told Rolling Stone, I still love Demi. We're very close. We have three children whom we will continue to raise together. And we're probably as close now as we ever were. We realize we have a lifelong commitment to our kids. Our friendship continues. The institution has been set aside. It's so interesting because I would say this is the sentiment we get from most couples, parents particularly, when they split. But these two are one of the only examples of a couple who I do think really walked the walk. Yes. For example, in the months after they split, People magazine noted that they were spotted together as a family multiple times, including a family trip to Paris. Yes. By 2000, Demi had taken a break from making movies so she could focus on raising the kids. She did one film in 2000, the thriller Passion of Mind, and mainly stuck to producing while she was in family mode. Yeah. In 2003, she made a big splash with her return to the screen in Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Now, her return to movies was met with warm praise as per Rolling Stone at the time. It's a relief when Demi Moore shows up as fallen angel Madison Lee. Moore, 40, looks great in a bikini and doesn't even try to act. Her unsmiling sexiness cuts through the giggle fest as the angels fight, kick, dance and motocross like Indiana Jones clones on estrogen. I don't know why it's entirely relevant that they're Indiana Jones clones on estrogen. <laughs> Just weak little bitches who are trying to scum. It's, it's so- like the media just can't help themselves it's, sometimes. It's geni- like, it's good. They're still women. <laughs> so stupid. Now, 2003 was a monumental year for now 40-year-old Demi Moore. And not just because that's when she made her long-awaited return to cinema. It was the year she met her next husband, a young actor by the name of Ashton Kutcher. But we're going to talk about how they met after the break. Now you know All right, Zara, it's time to introduce Ashton Kutcher to the listeners. We need to quickly catch you up with who Ashton was in 2003 when he met Demi Moore and exactly how he got his foot into Hollywood. Yeah, so born in 1978, Ashton Kutcher was raised in a relatively conservative family in Iowa. He has an older sister and a fraternal twin brother named Michael who has cerebral palsy. Ashton actually had a similar start to his Hollywood career to Demi in that he started as a model first. Demi's career, though, as we know, was kind of a bit more of a slow burn. Ashton's was not. It kind of just happened for him at every moment. It is pretty incredible to read. So as written in a paper magazine feature on him from 2000, After placing first in 1997's Fresh Face of Iowa modelling contest, agents flew him to New York. The next day, he was working the runway in Bryant Park. During his first trip to Milan, he booked 19 shows. One year later, on his first day in LA, he was cast in the Fox sitcom (laughs) That 70s Show, which went on to become a ratings smash. His first attempt at movie stardom, the stoner comedy Dude, Where's My Car, went bong at the box office, grossing over $100 million worldwide since its release. (laughs) to be the most seamless rise to fame like, that what? we have covered. It's like this shit's easy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy that he managed to crack it in with such success. I also think as well, a lot of celebrities, they have a couple of movies that are independent or small or sure. aren't, aren't that well received. Everything he touched turned to goals, including like Milan catwalks. And dude, where's my car? Like, was that ever meant to be a really high grossing movie? Now, as we say, like, this is an industry that is notoriously hard to crack into. And he did amazingly well. But the early years of Kutch's time in LA 
wasn't always sunshine and rainbows and roses. In fact, in 2001, things got pretty dark. Yeah, at this point in the timeline, he had done a few seasons of that 70s show. He had just starred in Dude, Where's My Car? He wasn't a household name yet, Zara, but he was certainly up and coming. And it's at this point in his life when Ashton unwittingly found himself involved with an, like an incredibly grisly true crime story. He actually had met a 22-year-old fashion design student named Ashley Ellerin through mutual friends. And in early February 2001, Ashley and Ashton had made plans to go on a date together. They were going to attend the Grammys after party side by side. Yeah. Now, that evening, it was February 21, 2001, Ashley Ellerin was stabbed to death in her home in a home invasion and never made it to the date with Ashton Kutcher. Mm. Now, Ashton Kutcher was, of course, a key witness in the trial against the killer, a man named Michael Gargiulo, telling the court that he had last talked to Ashley at 8.24pm to kind of confirm their plans for that evening. The actor said that he knocked on her door around 10.45pm but there was no answer and he peered through the window and sort of recalled what he thought were spilled wine stains on the carpet. Her car was in the driveway but he thought that maybe she was mad at him because he was running late and purposely Mm. not answering so he left. Yeah, police found that Ashley Ellerin had just gotten out of the shower and was about to get ready for her date with Ashton when Gargiulo stabbed her to death. Gargiulo was eventually sentenced to death for her murder, plus another home invasion murder of mother Maria Bruno in 2005. He was also found guilty of the attempted murder in 2008 of Michelle Murphy, who fought him off in her apartment. That was the incident where Michelle Murphy fought him off that led to his eventual arrest and kind of kicked off the road to justice, or as close to justice as you can get when something this horrendous has happened. Now, of course, the case got pretty widespread attention because of Ashton Kutcher's attachment to it. But goodness me, like a really traumatic and grisly story and just so desperately sad for everyone involved. Mm. We do have to get back to the timeline and back to Ashton Kutcher's career, though. By 2003, he was enjoying his rise to fame with that 70s show and a new show he'd created and starred in, a hidden camera show called Punked. Yeah, Punked really was the first show of its kind. In a landscape where unscripted reality TV was only just really getting started, Punked had this very crystal clear vision that one huge celebrity in Ashton Kutcher would play elaborate pranks on fellow celebrities. It's a pretty good premise. As per New York Magazine at the time, MTV's hottest original series since the Osbournes, Punked has a deceptively simple premise. Ashton Kutcher plays practical jokes on celebrities. But the Ashton Kutcher on display in this show is the opposite of a good-natured dimwit he portrays in that 70s show. It's not too much of an exaggeration to say he is a deeply cunning pop-cultural anarchist. <laughs> Kutcher's particular Twilight Zone ready skill is in crafting torches that aim for both the jugular and the Achilles heel. <laughs> God, they are likening these pranks to torture. Yeah. His MTV hit with Punked also cemented Ashton's status as just a total 2000s hottie. Yeah, like posters of him were up. 
As per Salon at the time, Kutcher has major hits both on TV and on the big screen, separating him from countless sitcom stars who have struggled to establish film careers. He's a teen heartthrob, which means he has the coveted and highly suggestible teenage girl demographic under his thumb, and he makes adult women swoon. Was Ashton Kutcher your kind of celebrity crush? I think I found him a bit too boysy. Same. I'm so impressed with myself that maybe at whatever age I must have been. <laughs> this was 2003, so we would have been... 10. Uh, yeah, 10. That he wasn't my vibe. We I'm, were nine, yeah. I've never really been a boysy boy kind of girl. No, neither. I think I found him too silly for me. Yeah, <laughs> I love a more serious man. Now, he, as I said, he definitely had this boy's boy shtick to him. He was like this boy who wasn't yet a man or he was like this lovable early 20s guy. The, you know the kind of guy that can get away with not having grown up. Yes. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The kind of guy where you look at him and you go, love you, but boy, have you got some growing up to do. Correct. For example, Rolling Stone introduced their profile on Ashton in 2003 with this. Not that long ago, Ashton Kutcher was stoned in Iowa. For Kutcher, being stoned in Iowa in 1996 meant sitting in a basement, listening to The Prodigy and White Zombie Grooving on the backlight posters. So he's just a knockabout guy yeah. who became world famous. Exactly. <laughs> now, speaking of 2003, a quick refresher, because we know we went on that big, long Ashton Kutcher tangent. Demi Moore was promoting her new film, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle in New York City. Yes. So a 40-year-old Demi Moore and a 25-year-old Ashton Kutcher actually met for the first time in New York City on May 2, 2003. It was a bit of a coincidence. I think Demi only actually decided to go to this party on a whim. She got an invite from her friend, fellow actress Sarah Foster, to kind of go to this dinner with a group of mutual friends and a couple of people that didn't know. That group happened to include Ashton Kutcher. Demi Moore happened to say yes and they hit it off. Yeah, exactly. Before dinner, Demi actually headed up to Ashton's hotel room with the group to hang out, and she actually recalled their first meeting in her memoir. We all gathered in his hotel room at the start of the evening. He had just finished an SNL rehearsal and needed a quick shower. He was prancing around the suite in a towel when I excused myself to call my girls. I was out in the hallway telling them goodnight when the door opened and Ashton, now fully dressed, leaned out. She went on, he looked at me with a serious, almost shy look on his face. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard, he said, and then quickly closed the door. In that moment, he changed from a cute little player into someone deeply interesting. That night at dinner, it was like nobody else was there. When everyone else was ready to go home, we were still talking. Mm, Demi then recalled inviting Ashton back up to her apartment that same evening where they talked for the rest of the night and then apparently would not stop texting each other in the following days. She wrote, we were texting back and forth so much. It was like that game where you're keeping a balloon in the air and you don't want to be the one to let it drop. I've never heard anyone describe the texting phase of dating someone that you really like like that. Yeah. And I really like it. Same. I agree. I love her description of that as well. Now, these two basically started dating the moment they met. Obviously, there is a pretty big age difference between Demi Moore and Ashton Kutcher. And Demi wrote about this. She touched upon it in her book. She said, I didn't feel insecure around him. He was 25, I was 40. But I'm telling you, we could not feel it. We were totally in sync from our very first conversation. 
Keep in mind, when I was 25, I became a mum. I skipped straight from being a young adult into motherhood and marriage. When I met Ashton, it almost felt like a do-over. Yeah, Demi was aware of the age difference and that she knew that the tabloids and paparazzi would have a field day with it. Mm. She said, I knew from day one that if Ashton and I got together, it would be a feeding frenzy. It was too juicy with our age difference. I tried to warn him about what was coming if we were a couple. I told him, you will be followed everywhere. But he didn't really take it in. How could he? He later confessed that if he fully grasped what it would be like, he might never have got involved with me. It's a hard thing to hear. I think it really speaks to the difference in their level of celebrity. Like, yes, Ashton was doing incredibly well. He had really hit a golden patch in his career. Demi Moore was A-list, A-list at this time, though. Yeah, and I think it's such an interesting dynamic when she's trying to tell him, like, you don't know what this is going to be like. And he comes back to that with, well, I'm famous too, I understand. And also with the young male naivety of not understanding why this will be such a feeding frenzy for the tabloids. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There are a few layers to it. It also would hurt heaps to hear later that he tells you, if I knew what I was signing up for, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. That's so brutal. Unfortunately, you guys might have already guessed this, but Demi Moore was right to be concerned about what the media would say and what they would run in the newspapers. They were completely brutal when it came to these two. Yeah, as it turned out, Rumours had already began circulating around this time about Demi dating other men. As per this Daily Mail article from June 2003, headlined The Younger Men in Demi's Life, it read, The actress, who turned 40 last November, has in the last three years been linked with men of 34, 32, 30, 28, 27 and 26. Can we just stop? Okay, so in the last three years. So say Demi at one point was 37 years old then. So what? She was a 37-year-old dating a 34-year-old. Ooh. Wild. (laughs) Now, it's not clear exactly who these men they're alluding to were or, by the way, if this was even true. Mm. I mean, Demi has never confirmed dating anyone besides her ex-husbands and Emilio Estevez, who she was engaged to. But the Daily Mail did name Leonardo DiCaprio, Tobey (laughs) Maguire, and then 26-year-old Colin Farrell. Well, we can scrub Leo's name off the list. We know that she's not in his dating range. Now, this report from the Daily Mail was among the first to cover the blossoming romance between Demi and Ashton. Now, their dating life appeared to have been exposed almost as soon as it began. When the news started circulating that they might be dating, the tabloids certainly inferred that there was something almost immoral about Demi dating a younger man. And it also kind of touched on this faux concern that Demi's ex-husband, Bruce Willis, was concerned for their children or like had question marks over the... What lesson is this teaching our daughters? Yeah, I think it was often referred to as like, what example is this teaching our kids? That's what they were reporting at the time. Yeah. Anyway, take this section of the same Daily Mail article we quoted above. A friend of the diehard star told a US magazine, Bruce has been telling Demi to watch it. He (laughs) says she's old enough to be the mother of some of the guys she's hanging out with. So Demi and Ashton make their first public appearance as a couple at the Charlie's Angels Full Throttle premiere in June 2003. Mm. This is like a month after they met for the first time. And she attended with Ashton, her three kids, and Bruce Willis. It's the most public, defiant display of like a family unit. From all of them. Yeah. It's clearly like Bruce Willis not stoked that he's being painted with this brush of 
condescending ex-partner. And it's one of the reasons I like Bruce Willis, yeah. I think, in this story. The fact that he did that is the ultimate way to tell the tabloids, shut up. I'm like, not worried, bullshit. so you shouldn't be either. Reflecting on the speed at which the new couple decided to go public, Demi pretty much said that she and Ashton were so in love that they didn't want to hide it anymore. I mean, it's very quick, but I guess if the tabloids were reporting on it, mm. they might as well just go public with it. I don't know. I feel I'm in a couple of minds about this, right? Yes. I appreciate that if people are reporting it, as I said, you might get to the point where it's like, well, we might as well announce it. Why are we hiding? It's too much energy to hide it. That said, can you complain about the swiftness of the feeding frenzy when you walk straight into it? Mm. You went public. Mm. Or do you think she went public with Ashton and Bruce to try and shut it all down? I don't know where I sit. I'm I all think over the place. she probably had quite earnest intentions. I'm not sure a month after Meeting. they begin dating. Yeah, they meet is the time. I actually think if you if you really want to nourish your relationship and have a really solid foundation, you need more than a month to know each other. I loved some guys a month in who turned out to be total assholes. Yeah, well, it's a lot to put in front of the public, right? And mm. I know they ended up getting married, so it paid off. But still, it's it's really interesting to look back on. Hello Magazine reported at the time that the family were putting on a united front at the premiere, which was exactly what Demi wanted. Years later, she reflected on the evening, I took on the red carpet with Ashton on one arm and Bruce on the other and all three kids front and centre. I was saying, you can be a family after divorce just in a new form. And I was preemptively neutralising any narrative of conflict between Bruce and Ashton that the press might try to drum up. Yeah. I mean, it kind of worked. In response to the premiere, San Francisco Gate reported at the time, Bruce Willis has insisted he approves of Demi's latest conquest, but is said to have told the Playboy actor, kiddo, if you don't behave, you'll have me chasing you. Maybe, <laughs> I just said it worked, but maybe that proves it doesn't. Also, sorry, why are we referring to Demi Moore as a Playboy actor when she was in one of the biggest films of all time, Ghost? Ghost. They hated her. They really did. It's also worth noting with all of this in mind, and I think the listeners might be obsessed with this fact, Bruce Willis himself had a girlfriend at this time. She was also 25. No one was talking about that. And Bruce is eight years older than Demi. Yes. So he's 48, dating a 25-year-old, and nobody gives a fuck. No one cared. As per The Independent, who's happier that Bruce Willis, 48, has a new girlfriend, Bruce himself or Ashton Kutcher? Both must be pleased about Bruce's new relationship with 25-year-old Baywatch star Brooke Burns. Bruce because it's one on the eye for his ex-wife, Demi Moore, and Ashton because it gives him someone in his own age to talk to at family gatherings. Everyone's happy. <laughs> but for Demi, I'd bet. How Demi... 40, beamed at the premiere of Charlie's Angels 2, Bruce lurked at the back of the photos, barely cracking a smile, and later allegedly told Demi he was unhappy with her toy boy and her flaunting of how she'd moved on. Bruce's message that anything Demi can do, he can do better, has been sent out loud and clear. That is the most confusing passage I've ever read. Also, I found photos where Bruce was smiling totally fine. Like, he looked fine. Why would he be there if he it wasn't, wasn't fine? A hundred percent. It's like, I guess this United Front worked to a point, but the reality is the media had decided the narrative it wanted to tell yeah. and they needed to find a way to still do that. It reminds me a lot of almost Meghan Markle. They've decided they don't like something. They find something repugnant or offensive. And so they will look for any angle on any story to reinforce that. It wasn't just Demi's age. 
It was Demi's process of aging, like yes. anyone does, that they took issue with as well. The Evening Standard published an article titled Saggy, Demi's Knees Need Work, in which they wrote, While Ashton Kutcher thinks Demi Moore is the bee's knees, the actress may be ruefully reflecting that her own knees are literally something of a letdown. Sorry, I should not laugh. Do our knees sag? (laughs) This is giving me like a new complex. Like what? It is so bizarre. Her saggy knees. It's so awful. To be fair, there were some voices of reason at the time and I always do think it's important to highlight those people who were speaking against the grain. One of those people was a woman called Joanna Schneller who wrote for the Globe and Mail, Sound the trumpets, bar the door. Demi Moore, 40, is dating a man 15 years younger than she is. Let's be shallow for a second and talk optics. It's not like Moore is a wrinkly 90-year-old tottering about on the arm of a cabana boy who could be her great-grandson. 40 is not old. 15 years is not a Grand Canyon-sized gap. Mm. She went on, And still the tabloids are shocked, shocked that she's sexy. They spend pages explaining how that could possibly be. Other tabloids have cast more in a morality play or predicted her comeuppance. I mean, what is a 40-year-old female supposed to look like or act like? Does the general public honestly think 40 equals saggy crone? I know it's the most obvious point in the world, but when have we ever looked at a 40-year-old man and thought he's no longer sexy? That's when they get sexier. George Clooney is like, how old? And people still hold him up as the sexiest person on the the world. Yeah. What is the media's idea, at least in the 90s and noughties, of when a woman's hotness expires? Was it like 30 years old? What do you mean 90s and noughties? It's the same now. I don't think we're as harsh now. I don't think, I really, truly don't think there would be articles about Demi Moore's saggy knees. They wouldn't be that, but I do think our perception of when women, quote unquote, peak is the same. What, we start talking about women as if they're no longer hot and they should stop trying to be sexy at 35? Yeah, that is what I think the media does. I have six years left. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Now, despite the paparazzi and the tabloids, Demi and Ashton appeared to be genuinely happy together. Ashton seemed to fit right in with Demi's blended family and even commented at the time how much he enjoyed spending time with her kids. How's this quote to Entertainment Weekly in 2003? Being a part of moulding anyone's life is an incredible thing. It's an unbelievable addition to my life. I feel like they've been shafted in the deal. I get four of them and all they get is me. They got the short end of the stick. That's so nice. It is a nice quote. Yeah. I like it. Oh, hang on. Why? No, what no, have no. I missed? No, you haven't missed anything. I think he says some dodgy stuff later. Oh. <laughs> but I don't want to spoil anything. Yes, but at this point. At this point in time. I don't at mind face value, him. I like him. I like this quote. Yes. So everything's good. Demi and Ashton seem to be blissfully in love and her kids and her ex-husband seem to be getting along with Ashton Kutcher. Let's fast forward a couple of years. We're now in March 2005 and Ashton Kutcher is hosting SNL. This is actually his second stint on the show, Zara. His first stint was when he actually met Demi Moore. Yeah, that's why he was in New York and met Demi in 2003. Now, this time in this hosting gig, the couple were actually able to take the opportunity to hit back at the tabloids, all while poking fun at themselves at the same time. As per Demi in Inside Out, we decided to address all the chatter about our age difference head on and in the funniest way possible. I enjoyed every minute. During his opening monologue, Ashton said, 
magazines focus on her age difference, but the thing that I focus on is that she's the best thing that's ever happened to me and she's here tonight. Demi, I love you, baby. The camera panned to me in the audience in makeup that made me look about 90 with a white wig and eyebrows wearing a <laughs> frowsy purple dress and holding a pocketbook in my lap like the Queen of England. <laughs> Shall we insert a snippet here of that monologue for the listeners right now? Yeah, please. Demi, I love you, baby. <laughs> Come up with me, with me, and, and, and just just enjoy this moment together. All right. <laughs> okay, come on, let's let hurry up. It's a live show, baby. Step it up, step it up. There it is. My support clothes are cutting off my circulation. Uh, they do that. Yeah. I do really like this. I really like that Demi and Ashton were a united front. I love that they poked fun at the tabloids. The only thing I don't like about this story is that it does seem that celebrities always had to make themselves the butt of the joke around this time. Like we've heard about Paris Hilton going on yeah. SNL and making her the, herself the butt of the joke. And I know that humor is the best way to combat this toxicity it's just annoying that they have to combat anything at all i agree with that it's like the perfect way to combat it and in that sense i love it but i hate that they have to do it to start yeah the skit was generally well received as per people at the time demi moore proved a good sport this weekend as she joked about the age difference between her and boyfriend ashton kutcher who was hosting snl for what it's worth demi really loved it she said the whole thing was hilarious. I loved that I was at a point in my life where I didn't care about what people thought of my choices. I was living the way I wanted to live and there was no reason to be sensitive about my age. Mm, plus, Demi had much more important things on her mind at this time too because she and Ashton were pregnant. Now, a quick content note for anyone who has suffered through miscarriage or pregnancy loss or child bereavement we will be touching on those topics for the rest of the episode. So if you want to skip this and just tune back in for episode three, totally understand. Yeah. So Demi Moore was pregnant and no one outside the family knew it at the time, although the tabloids were certainly speculating. As per that People magazine article that I touched on earlier after Ashton's episode of SNL aired, they wrote, The appearance together came only days after Moore spoke out for the first time about persistent tabloid stories that she is pregnant. She told People, The rumours are just that. Rumours. Moore's rep also said, Having another child is something that Demi would like to do, but she cannot at this time say she is pregnant. Yeah. As per People... Ashton joked to reporters saying, why am I the last person to find out everything? I'm going to be a daddy. God, no one tells me anything. Privately, Demi and Ashton had been planning to have a baby since they began their relationship. Demi wrote in Inside Out, Ashton and I knew right away that we wanted to have a baby together. It was always just a question of when. I had leapt into having a family with Bruce and this time I wanted to build a foundation in the relationship first. But I was also in my 40s. To remove the time pressure, less than a year into our relationship, we decided to freeze embryos. Mm, despite having those frozen embryos, Demi actually fell pregnant naturally. Six weeks after they discovered they were pregnant, Ashton proposed to Demi and she said yes. She wrote about this, When I found myself engaged to my soulmate and expecting his child at the age of 42, I felt for the first time like the luckiest girl in the world. 
for the first time. Mm. Isn't that interesting? As it turned out, Demi and Ashton were expecting a girl. And while Demi was still pregnant, they settled on the name Chaplin Ray. For six months, Ashton and Demi kept the pregnancy extremely private, with only Demi's daughters, Bruce, and their close family aware that Chaplin was on her way. Yeah, very sadly, though, Demi and Ashton faced tragedy at the six-month point in the pregnancy. Demi wrote, right at the moment when we were going to start telling everyone about the pregnancy, we went to the doctor's office. He did his usual ultrasound, but this time there was no heartbeat. I registered that deadly silence. I saw the look on the doctor's face. If you've never lost a baby, you may think of a miscarriage as not that big of a deal. But when it's your baby, who you already love and think of as a member of your immediate family, it doesn't feel like a minor defeat It feels like your child has died. Now, understandably, Ashton and Demi were devastated. Demi wrote, Ashton did his best to connect with me in my grief. He tried to be there for me during the miscarriage, but he couldn't really understand what I was feeling. First of all, he hadn't carried this baby. And second, he was in his 20s at the time. He wasn't remotely late to the game of fatherhood. His possibilities were not running out far from it. I was suddenly acutely aware that mine were. Mm. Although the loss of the baby was still very fresh and painful, Demi and Ashton went ahead with their plans to get married. On September 24, 2005, they wed in a small but private ceremony. In fact, they told their guests that it was actually just going to be a housewarming. So it was a surprise wedding for everyone who attended. Only there was a quiet struggle that Demi was now dealing with behind closed doors. Her drinking had officially become a problem again and her happy, relaxed relationship with Ashton was starting to capitulate. Yeah, within three years, it would be capitulating publicly too. But all of that on the next episode of Scandal. As we always tell you, if you want to listen to that right now, you can. All you have to do is subscribe to Shay Moore on Apple Podcasts. You can get that episode in your ears right now. A big thank you as always to our wonderful researcher, Eilish Gilligan. We are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. You covered it all. Go girl. I think I stole all the lines. I got nothing to say. See you guys. Except for see ya. See you guys on Thursday. (laughs) Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish Stylish, if you want to say it quickly, style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.